Mark chapter four is, is where we're gonna get started. So I wanna begin with a little bit of a confession. This is sort of a weird way to start a sermon, but um, there are times when writing a sermon feels pretty easy. You know, I'll like sit down in front of the word of God and like God will just kind of set my heart on fire and it just, it just comes together and it's easy and it feels good. And then there are weeks like this week where um, you know, I worked and I worked and I tried and I tried. And I'll just be honest, I'm standing before you today with a really crappy sermon. And, and that's just what you're going to get. How's that for an intro, you know? <laughs> you know? Welcome to church. You know, you're about to get a garbage sermon. And so wh- one of the things that I was praying today as I was coming in, I go, man, my, my, my sermon is not very good, but the word is. And, you know, wh- where I am weak, God is strong. And so my, my really simple prayer has been God don't let my crappy sermon distract them from the glorious reality you're inviting them into. And so uh, there is uh, a little more pressure on you this morning, uh, like there is every week. And I, I say that with love, but I go, there's pressure on you to, to listen, not to my voice, but to the voice of God that's going to be coming out of the scriptures. And you see this over and over in the scriptures. The responsibility is not just on me to stand up here and give a good talk. The responsibility is on all of us as listeners to say, God, would you crack open our hearts so our lives would forever be different? Is that cool? Makes sense? So here we go. Stick with me 30 minutes, crappy sermon, listen to the voice of Jesus, and pay attention to whatever the Spirit has for you. Okay, so Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be wrestling with. So earlier this month, uh, I went to India to see some of our our churches that I work with and serve over there. And for a few days, we were in Kolkata, uh, which is where Mother Teresa, if you've never heard of her, Google her, it would serve you well to check out Mother Teresa, but she was in Kolkata for the majority of her life and ministry and did some amazing things. And the place where we were staying in Kolkata was literally on the same block, just about 100 yards from where she lived. And so this one morning, we walked over to the convent that she got going, and we got to see the things that she did. And there was this really sobering moment where I'm standing there in the room that she slept in for 45 or 50 years, really long time, and it's this really small room. It's, it's about the size of uh, the pantry in your kitchen for most of you at your house. It's just this really tiny little room. It was the worst room in the entire convent. It was right above the kitchen. She chose it on purpose because it was the room that would receive the most heat. It would be the most difficult to sleep in, and she wanted to bear the weight of spending her life there. Uh, Until she was in her early 70s, she never even had a bed in the room. There was just a mat on the concrete floor. So every night as she slept with her brittle body on that concrete floor, she could be reminded of the people that God had sent her to Calcutta to serve. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments, but have you ever been in a space where you went, man, the presence of God is thick in here? That the space between what is human and what is divine is getting thinner and thinner by the moment. And I'm standing in that room and I'm thinking about the way that God used this young, frail woman and he poured her life out for the glory of God and the good of those that are around her. And as I was standing in that room, I didn't hear an audible voice, but just the spirit of God just began to pierce my heart. And I sensed the spirit saying, Dave, Teresa was not extraordinary. She's ordinary. But this is what happens when one person will fully yield their life to the message of Christ and his kingdom. 
And I think there is this tendency within us, especially in a place like Nashville, to, to so water down, to so dilute the reality. And so we can gather in a place like this and we can worship a crucified and resurrected Christ who spent his life as a homeless, wandering nomad, serving the poor, healing the sick, preaching the message of the kingdom. And we can worship him and sing to him and think about him and then walk out of here and live lives that look nothing like him. And I was in that room and I just sensed the Spirit of God saying, this is not an extraordinary thing. It just feels extraordinary because almost nobody takes Jesus this seriously. And my heart was just like exploding with joy. I was just thinking about our church going, man, what if, what if we had the courage to take the invitation of Jesus that seriously? What if we really stood before the Lord and our lives was our lives were a blank check, a blank piece of paper, and said, God, you write whatever story it is that you want to write in these pages. Wherever you send, I'll go. Whatever you call, I'll do. Because we know that as the glory of God begins to make its mark within us, it will always bless those around us. And I go, this is what's happening in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is standing up in front of this huge crowd of people. They keep coming, they keep listening, they keep hearing the sermons, they keep hearing the miracles, but one of the most stunning things you're gonna see in the Gospel of Mark is despite the fact that people kept sitting under the teaching of Jesus, being touched by the healing power of Jesus, there were so many people that continued to miss out on the joy that came from actually knowing Jesus. And Jesus stands up in front of this crowd, he says, there's more. He says, there's more, and I want to invite you into it. I want you to see your life swept up in the story of God's abundant, wonderful adventure for you. And you've got to decide, will you go? Will you be a part of what God is doing? And so Jesus stands in front of the crowd, Mark chapter 4. Open up your Bibles with me. We're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to look at uh, almost 20 verses together. It's a lot of reading, so I encourage you to look at the text with me to, to really let the word of God wash over you. But I want you to imagine this. This is what Jesus begins to say. It says, again, Jesus was teaching by the lake, and the crowds that gathered around him were so large that he had to get into a boat. He had to set out into the lake, and while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, Jesus taught them many things by parables. Those were just short stories with spiritual meanings. Jesus would use things from their everyday life, help them understand the greater things of God. And in his teaching, this is what Jesus said, verse 3. He said, listen. I want you to hear this with me for a moment. Just stop. This is Jesus speaking, not me. This is the way that he starts his sermon. It's as if Jesus says, hey, just put away the cell phone for a minute. Set aside the kids. Set aside the worries, the distractions, the plans for lunch, whatever it is that you have today. God has a word for you right now. And if you can hear it, it's forever gonna change you. You know, I have these moments with my wife. Um, all the time I'll be like standing in the kitchen and Sydney will start talking to me. And she says, hey, are you listening to me? And I say, yeah. And she'll say, no, like, are you listening to me? And I'll say, yes. And then she'll say, what did I just say? I'm like, dang it. <laughs> you know, and it, it's like, it, it's a genetic condition for men, right? You know, we, we are so good at hearing without ever hearing anything. And Jesus knows that some of us have a master's degree in coming to church, hearing the sermons, and never receiving what it is that God's actually trying to say into our hearts. He said, just stop. Just listen. Even those of you that are not followers of Jesus today, I just want to ask you, just listen. Just 30 minutes, just listen. Hear what it is that God has to say. 
And then Jesus begins, he starts his sermon right after he gets her attention by telling this really bizarre story. Now, you got to remember, Jesus is talking to a group of farmers. Just raise your hand if you're a farmer. I'm just curious. How many of you grew up on farms? Yeah, that's about like I expected, you know. Um, none of us hardly know what it's like to farm. And so for these people, the story that Jesus told like made a ton of sense for us. We need the Spirit of God to increase our imagination so we can understand what Jesus is saying. And Jesus begins sharing this story in verse three. He says, listen, there's a farmer who went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the path and the birds came in and they ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. There were other seed that fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil and it came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So I want you to imagine this moment. This is gonna be too cheesy for some of you, but I need you to play along with me. Jesus tells them this story and you can almost imagine just the, the humor of Jesus. He asked everybody in the crowd, hey, just grab your ears for a minute. I want everybody right now, play along with me. Even those of you that are watching on video, uh, just grab your ears. And Jesus says, any of you that have ears, and you know, there's probably that one guy in the crowd that didn't have an ear. And Jesus is like, it's cool, I'll take care of that. I can heal it. He's like, any of you that have ears, hear, hear, listen. In other words, who, who is this message for? Jesus said, here's the qualifier. You're alive, you have ears. If you can hear, this is who it's for. And Jesus begins to show this crowd of people what their lives could be like if the message of Christ in his kingdom would captivate their hearts. And he doesn't tell it to them by giving them bullet points and a theory. He says, let me tell you a story because I know that in the midst of a story, you will find yourself in that story and you'll begin to discover what it is that God is trying to do. And so Jesus tells this story. He says, there's a farmer who goes out and he has a bag of seed and like a crazy drunk man walking down 8th Avenue, he just starts slinging this seed everywhere. Now, I'm not a farmer, so I'm like, maybe that's the way farmers do their thing. I just don't know. But a few years ago, I'm with Brandon, who's one of our pastors here. Brandon grew up on a farm in, in Kentucky, God bless him, and he knew about farming. And so I'm reading this story, and, and Brandon said, that's the worst farmer ever. And I said, do tell. I don't understand. What do you mean? What do you mean this is the worst farmer ever? And he said, farmers plant their seeds methodically and carefully. Seeds are valuable. He says, if you go to a farm, it's in rows, and they put the seeds in, and they're gentle, and they, they cover it up. He says, it, it's an art. It's a science. You're, you're careful with it. And He said, when Jesus would have been telling this story to a group of farmers, they would have all been like, this guy's the, the worst farmer ever. This is J.V. Bush League farming, just throwing seeds everywhere. But Jesus says, I want you to understand who the farmer represents. Jump down to verse 14. It's so beautiful. He says, the farmer it's Jesus, and he sows the word. And this has been the picture of Christ over and over and over in the Gospel of Mark so far. He's throwing indiscriminately and generously and almost recklessly the grace and love and message of God to anyone that would listen, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the Pharisees, to the sinners, in, in, in the synagogues and on the sidewalks and in the homes, sitting around the table at Burger Up, wherever Jesus was, he kept delivering this unbelievable news. And the picture that you get of Jesus up to this point in Mark is like a crazy farmer with a bag of seed, and he is spreading it everywhere he goes. 
And Jesus says, there's this generous farmer. And he's throwing this unbelievably powerful seed. So in the farming world during the days of Jesus, if you had a really good return on your crop when you planted a seed, you would expect a harvest that was three times what you had planted. If you had a miraculous year, you would expect a seven-fold return on what you would plant. Look back at verse eight. What does Jesus promise to the person that receives the message of Christ in the kingdom? He says, we're not talking threefold. We're not talking sevenfold. He says, we're talking 30, 60, 100-fold. He says, what God wants to do in the life of an ordinary human being cannot be explained. It will blow your mind. And this is the part of the story where Jesus is talking to a group of farmers. And he says, this is the harvest you can expect. And you imagine everyone taking this collective gasp. <gasps> what? 30, 60, 100 what is this seed? Be like you showing up at your minimum wage job as a barista, making $7.25 an hour, which is almost cr criminal, right? And you show up and you know that if you work for eight hours after taxes, you're taking home $42. Be careful, you don't spend that all in one place, right? Just this kind of depressing, you work hard, you bring home a little bit of money. Imagine your boss coming in to your minimum wage job and he says, you're gonna make the same coffee that you've always made in the same store, you're doing what you've always done, but instead of bringing home $46 at the end of the day, you're taking home 4,600. Everybody be like, come again? <laughs> Can I get the check now? Jesus shows up and he says, I want to show you what God wants to do in your life. It's not slight behavior modification. It's not gradual disposition change. He says the glory of God wants to go off like an atomic bomb in the soil of your heart. He says anyone that will receive the generosity of this farmer that is throwing this seed upon the soil of human hearts can see God do in them and through them what he's done with the Mother Teresas of the world and much more for many and many, 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 many years. I go, so what's this seed? Look down at verse 13 with me real quick. Jesus is explaining the parable. He says, the farmer sows the seed, which is the word of God. If you go over into uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus kind of gives this same sermon again, and he elaborates on the point here. He says, this seed is the message of Christ and his kingdom. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, he says, do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to count? Do you, do you want God to do something not only in you but through you? Do you want a hundredfold harvest of both the character of Jesus in you and the ministry of Jesus through you? He says, do you want that? He says, here's how you receive that harvest. He says, it's as you begin to take in this good seed. And this seed is the message. It is the declaration of who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do so that you could stand before Christ and so you could serve the world in a way that would forever change everything. See, the message of the gospel, we talk about every week, but I'm gonna just give you the, give you the cliff notes real quick. It's that Jesus has lived the life you could never, ever live. He died the death that you were supposed to die. He has risen from the grave so that every step you take from here on out, every ordinary step, is a step that you and I get to live post-resurrection. That we get to live with God 
right here, right now, in ways that you can never imagine. And Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, do you want that kind of life? Do you want a life where you are so in tune with the work and the will and the ways of Jesus that the people around you see the glory of God multiplied in you a hundredfold over? And Jesus says, this is yours for the taking. And he tells this story. And you almost imagine everybody in the crowd going, man, that's an amazing story, but how's that happen? How's that really happen? And it's almost as if Jesus can sense the, sense the questions that we're wrestling with. And there's this really kind of stunning and sobering moment in the story. I'm just being honest with you. It's kind of difficult to swallow. Uh, the next part of the teaching that we're getting ready to look at is kind of hard. Jesus is going to say some hard things, but one of the things that I'm convinced of is that hard words produce soft hearts. And soft words produce hard hearts. And Jesus was never scared to say hard things because he wanted your heart to be soft in such a way that you could receive the adventure and the joy of who God is and what God's trying to do in you. And so Jesus looks out at the crowd and he says, the farmer is generous and good. The seed is life-changing and powerful. And you can almost imagine the crowd going, but why in the world do our lives look so ordinary? And Jesus begins to explain. He says, the farmer's good, the seed is powerful, and this is the reason so many of you will go to church your whole lives, will hear lots of sermons, and will leave here completely unchanged. And he begins to describe the variable that all of us have to wrestle with. When I was a kid, one of my least favorite moments of the year uh, was the science fair, science project time. How many of you had to make science projects growing up? Just raise your hands, I'm curious. Wasn't that the worst? My, my, my parents really hated it um, because I would always forget to tell them that I had a science project, which meant my dad the night before was having to help me make the science project. My teachers could always tell, but that's another story for another day. And so we'd make this science project. And I remember this one year, third or fourth grade, I had forgotten and procrastinated once again. So it was about midnight. We're trying to come up with a science experiment. And there's not a lot of options at midnight when you're trying to come up with a third grade science project. And so we decided, why don't we test to see if different liquids take a different amount of time to boil? And so there's a brain-busting, heart-stretching scientific process for you. And so if you've ever done a science experiment, you know, just here's some elementary science for you. You have to control certain variables so you can test your hypothesis, right? And so remember, we had the same stove. We had the same pan. We put it on the same heat. And the one variable that kept changing was the liquid that we were putting in that pan. And so we're going to see, uh, does milk boil faster than water? Does water boil faster than Coke? Does Coke boil faster than bleach? No, we didn't use bleach, but you know, (laughs) do different liquids boil at different rates? And you have all of the things stable and you test the one different thing. And This is what Jesus is presenting before us, and it's a really sobering moment. Jesus is saying, listen, the farmer's good. He's spreading the seed everywhere. And the seed, the the, the gospel message has the power to literally resurrect and change the very fabric of your being, to move you, to shape you, to change you. Farmer's good, the seed is powerful. And he says, what is the variable? He says, the variable is the soil of your human heart. That's the variable. It's the reason some of you will be in here today and God will speak to you and you will go out on a new mission 
You'll face your work differently. You'll love your family differently. You'll see your school differently. Some of you will hear a word from God today and you'll go out of here and you'll have this radical experiential life change. And some of you are gonna hear the word of God today and you're gonna keep living in sexual immorality with your girlfriend. It's the reason some of you are gonna hear the word of God today and your heart is gonna come alive. And some of you are going to hear the word of God today and you're gonna be completely unchanged and dull. And go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you'll be back here on Sunday again. And Jesus, with love, he, he looks at this group of people and he says, I want you to understand why it is that God is having his way with some of you and some of you still feel unchanged. And he begins to tell the story. And the disciples are like, what does all this mean? And he begins to explain it. Jump down to verse 13 with me. Jesus said to them, He says, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? He says, the farmer, it's Jesus, he sows the word. Some people are like seed sown along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And so Jesus says, let me help some of you understand why you've been in church your whole life and you haven't experienced life change. He says, because your heart's Uh, before the Lord are like hard soil, like a path. Remember when I was a kid, I had a dog that would run along the fence line. I don't know if any of you had this moment, but the dog would run along the fence line and wore down the grass and uh, it became this really hard path. And so when my parents were getting ready to sell the house, we kept trying to grow grass on that path and they kept throwing seed on it, but it would never settle in. And so eventually my dad had to go to Home Depot and rent a tiller and had to till up the path where the dog had run just so we could get the seed to settle. And Jesus is saying, listen, some of you, it's not that Jesus isn't generous and it's not that his message and his life aren't powerful. It's that you have come to Jesus and your heart and your ears and your life were shut off before he ever began speaking. Every one of us have these moments. Let's get out of the spiritual realm for just a moment. Let's think about just kind of your life. So for me, uh, I'm kind of hard-hearted. I'm sort of shut off towards door-to-door salesmen, not to them as people, but to what it is that they're selling. So anytime my doorbell rings and I see a door-to-door salesman, I'm never walking to the door going, I wonder what I may buy today. Like, you know, I'm walking to the door and I'm thinking, okay, how do I send them away in a way that is nice and doesn't dishonor Jesus? Like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna buy their stuff. I don't wanna dishonor their product, but I just don't wanna. And some of you, you, you get that, right? There are things in life, like people start talking to you about it. And it's like, no, like, you can't even hear it. Some of you came here this morning that way. You came here and you think about the the message of Jesus and it sounds like total garbage to you. Man, people are foolish for believing this. You came because the girl that invited you is beautiful or because your friends and roommates don't know yet that you don't believe in this. And sometimes we come to the Lord and our hearts are hard, they're shut off. And before Jesus even has a chance to say a word, you've decided that what he has to say isn't worth listening. And Jesus says, how come some of you have never experienced the joy of what God is talking about? He says, because the soil of your hearts is like a path and the seed just never goes in. He keeps going. He tells another example, verse 15 or verse 16. He says, others are like seed that are sown along rocky places. They hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And so Jesus says, some of you, you're not like the path. You're not shut off to God. You're receptive to God. Your heart is open to God. 
But the soil of your heart is not deep enough to sustain the work that God is trying to do in you. And so the rhythm of your life is you get like really excited. You know, you go to passion and you're on fire for the Lord again. Or you come on Sunday, you're on fire for the Lord again. And you sign up for 10 house churches and four Bethmore Bible studies. And you didn't know it was just for women. And so now you're embarrassed, but you sign up for everything and you go to all the service projects. And man, I'm, I'm with the Lord and I'm, I'm done with the past. And this is where I'm going. And then following Jesus begins to cost you something. And like that, you're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. And I want grace and love and mercy. I don't know about obedience and faithfulness and perseverance. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself like jumping on board with something because it felt so exciting and then the moment it cost you anything, the moment it stretched you, you're done. So I remember like when I was in college, one of my friends asked me, hey, do you want to run a marathon? And I must have been drunk because I said yes. And uh, running is torture. Like I'm not a runner, but I said yes. And he's like, hey, let's pay, you know, $100 to run. I'm like, cool, I'm in. Sounds awesome. And so I signed up for this marathon with him and I am like two months behind on the training when he and the rest of the team are going. So my first day training, it's like, run 5.2 miles or something. I hadn't run farther than from my couch to the refrigerator in like a year. And so 5.2 miles was brutal. And I, I, I run, if I'm being honest, I walk a lot of it, but I pretend I'm running, I'm walking fast and moving my knees, you know, and, and uh, just trying to survive the 5.2 miles. And I get to the end of that journey and I said, you know what? Running a marathon just doesn't sound so cool. <laughs> like I, I'm done. I, I go, one day I'll quit. One day. Have you ever done something like that? And I'm all in. This is what it's going to cost you. I'm all out. Like, and I go, this, this is the way so many of us respond to the, to the message and the call of Christ on our life. Jesus is talking to this group of farmers in this region in the Middle East called Galilee. And the soil was known for being just full of limestone. In fact, it's much like Tennessee. And so a lot of farmers, they'd plow their fields and they'd plant their crops and harvest season would come around and they'd see one section of the field had stopped growing and they would know, oh, there is something under the soil over there that is robbing it of nutrients. So they'd go in and they'd get the plows and they'd go deeper and they'd get their shovels and their pickaxes and they'd break up the limestone and they'd pull it out because they knew that future fruitfulness was conditional upon digging deeper. Like, there are things that Christ wants to do in us and some of us, we're just not willing to let him dig deeper. Jesus, I want your love, but I, I don't want you to deal with those past wounds. Jesus, I want your love, but I don't want it to make me feel uncomfortable amongst my roommates. Jesus, I want your love. And he's saying the reason some of us hear the word of God and leave unchanged. Because we're like shallow soil and this is the rhythm of our life. We're excited. Jesus, you can't go deeper. Had this happen a few years ago, sitting on the beach of Sydney on family vacation. I was reading through the book of James and I got to James chapter three and God began to reveal in me that there were places in my own heart where the soil was st still too shallow for God to do good work. And he just began to pinpoint, hey Dave, there's this place of bitterness and unforgiveness in you towards someone that is in your life. And until you deal with that, the rhythm of your walk with me is gonna be consistent. Lots of little growth and then lots of inevitable death. And Jesus began the, the hard, difficult season of digging up the lime, limestone of my bitterness so that the roots could go deeper and so that God could produce some fruit. So some of you are like hard soil. Some of you are like shallow soil. Is this making sense? Can you see the story? He gives one other example. 
He says, but still others of you are like seed. Verse 18, look at this. Like seed that is sown among the thorns. You hear the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And Jesus says, for some of you, it's not that your soil is hard. It's not that your soil is too shallow. It's that you have decided to share your soil with other things. And there's this genuine love in you for Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel and for what God wants to do in you. But there are fears and worries and things in this life that keep keeping you from leaning fully into the message of Jesus. And he says, the reality is when you try to get the message of Christ and his kingdom to cohabitate with the American dream, when you get the message of Christ and his kingdom to cohabitate with your comfort, The gospel work in you is almost always choked out, suffocated, and begins to die. I'm not condoning this whatsoever, but I had a friend in high school who always would date two girls at once. It's like a real kind of dirtbag thing to do. And he'd always have two girlfriends because he, he, he said, I have a backup plan. And we'd say, no, you're, you're an idiot. And what you have is, uh, you know, an explosion waiting to happen. And it would always happen, very predictable. The girls would find out about each other. They'd choke each other, then they'd choke him, and the, 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 the love story was over. And Jesus says it's so predictable. As long as you keep trying to get the message of Jesus to hold hands with your desire for self-preservation and comfort, he says, this story always ends bad, and you become a church person. Week after week after week, hearing the message of Jesus, but never experiencing the fruitfulness of his work in you. Have you ever attended a rich man's funeral? Isn't it amazing how dead they are? I don't say that lightly. He says the deceitfulness of wealth, this idea that if I have enough, it will preserve me. If I just have enough, it will, like I'll make it. The cares of the world, have you ever been to a popular person's funeral? Isn't it amazing how dead they are? And I don't say that lightly. I go, but there's this moment that all of us will face where the trivial pursuits of our heart will be exposed for what they are. Those things aren't bad, but they cannot cohabitate at the same depth and at the same power and at the same richness of the message of Christ and his kingdom because as long as they do, they will rob you of what it is that God wants to do in you and through you. And Jesus is saying, there's this adventure and some of you, the adventure is being choked out because you just go, man, if I do that, how will I take care of the kids? And Jesus in Matthew chapter six says, that's how pagan people think. He said, non-Christians are the ones who worry about where they get their food and their clothes and their houses. He says, not the children of the king. He says, your father knows you need those things. Seek first Christ and his kingdom and what? And all that stuff's gonna be added to you. All that stuff's gonna be good. You don't have anything to worry about. Jesus is giving us permission to lean ourselves fully with total abandon into the craziness of Christ and his kingdom and the message that when this little story penetrates the human heart, that the fruit that is born will not just change you, will not just change your family, will not just change your neighborhoods, it will have a ripple effect. And one day, there may be a group of tourists standing in your bedroom going, how did God do this through them? Seed hit the good soil.
and the kingdom of God advanced. The farmer is great and the seed is powerful. What about your soil? What about your soil? If you're like me, the truth is sometimes my heart is filled with all kinds of soil. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what part of my heart are you talking about? <laughs> like, part of my heart is hard, part of my heart is shallow, part of my heart is full of thorns, part of my heart's pretty good. I go, what's the condition of your heart? Jesus knew that the most important battles we would face in the kingdom of God would not be battles on foreign soil. It would not be battles against illiberal agendas or political parties that the battles we would face would take place on the soil of our own hearts because the problem is never out there. The problem is always in here. And Jesus stands before a crowd and he says, the farmer is here, the seed is powerful. Have you received it? Is it taking root? And I go, if, if we don't end this teaching with a clear understanding of the gospel, you leave here and it's like heavy and depressing. It's like, oh, I'm the bad soil or whatever it is, you know, and you just feel terrible and you leave and you go to Ruby Tuesdays and you feel worse because you went to Ruby Tuesdays and it's like, you know, what, what, what am I gonna do with this? What am I gonna do with this? And I go, did you notice that in the teaching, Jesus never tells the soil to fix itself? Jesus doesn't look at the hard soil and say, go rent a tiller, bro. Like, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't look at the, the thorn-infested soil and instruct the, the soil to pull the thorns out. Who cares for the soil? The farmer. And the farmer is good. The farmer is good. Like, whatever the condition of the soil is, come to the farmer. Whatever the condition of your soil this morning, come to the farmer. Come to Jesus, Jesus, help me assess, help me understand. Break up the hard soil, pull out the rocks, remove the thorns, do what only you can do. And I go, this is the beauty of worship. This is the beauty of communion. We keep throwing ourselves before the good farmer, the one who's throwing seed and says, there is power when you believe, when you understand. And Jesus tells us this message, not only for us to pinpoint and evaluate where we are before the Lord, but to give us confidence when we see our friends. To understand that when you're throwing seed, when you're sharing the message of Christ and his kingdom, sometimes it lands on different soil and it is not your job to till up the soil of your friend's hearts. You just keep throwing the good seed and you know that when they meet the farmer, boom, everything changes. The gospel, Romans 1.16, is the power of God for all who believe. Wow. That's what's in your hand. The seed is good. The story is powerful. How is your soil? Let's pray. Father, thank you.